Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come yeah, we out do. this week, and we so review many. them, and we got a pack stacked for you today, kicking pack it off with... <laughs> Pete's very loose. I You're a little it. loosey-goosey, Pete. I like uh, it. I've been drinking! He goes from tight to loose yes. seamlessly. And we should mention, we released these episodes Wednesday, 9 a.m., but we taped them... Wednesday, Woo! 8 a.m. So that's when Pete was drinking. That's right. Okay, yeah. so just yeah. everybody, just to clear the air there. No Kang the Conqueror, number one from Marvel, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Carlos Magdo. Now, this is, of course, pivoting off of, spoiler, of Kang's course. big appearance over on the, the Loki TV show, as they call it, over on Disney+. Plus. Yep. Um, and giving What's you a bit of a background in the... Kang the Conqueror's history in the Marvel Universe. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there right out there. This is this is my maybe controversial opinion. Whoa. Good comic, well-told, fun adventure with young Kang teaming up with old Kang back in time, learning the ropes. This is clearly going to give us a tour through Kang's history. It is a huge missed opportunity that they just make this Jonathan Majors. Uh, yes, I think that's right. Um, and they could have, I think, easily done that without a lot of, there's not a ton of Kang heads out there who are like, who, my Kang what? is X. Uh, dude, there's, there's tons of Kang armor. heads. Well, there's tons of Kang heads, but the whole thing with Kang is there's an infinite amount of him throughout the multiverse. So follow the one that looks like Jonathan Majors for the people who are interested in the character uh, from watching Loki. Like, don't make this so hard on people. That's all. Like, if someone was like, describe young Kang before you read this comic, what would would you be like? Um, yeah, so he's good. He's a good. He's normal. A, a brain. Like, what, there's no distinguishing features. Here's my thing about young Kang. If you want to describe him, is he doesn't have a goatee yet. Right. Mm. <laughs> That's uh, Kang does have a goatee or a beard. Amortis, also sometimes a beard. Well, and again, we're getting in time, a lot of time travel, which uh, beards um, are affected by time travel, as we as know. we all know, uh, as we yeah, all because know. Yeah. you know you get older and you have a beard, and then when right. you're younger, you often don't. don't have a beard. Yeah, hmm. wow, that's crazy bad. That all aside, that's my little. What's thing. crazy bad? What? What's crazy bad? What's crazy bad? He said all that aside. Oh, nice. What is going on? I thought you said that's crazy bad. What'd you say about my mom? (laughs) What? I really feel like we need to restart this podcast potentially. But that all aside, I still think this is a fun comic book to read. I did like the characters here. I think this is well written, well drawn. I just think it's going to be potentially confusing for new comic book readers, even for an old comic book reader like me. I enjoyed it. 
I mean, it definitely touches on all the Marvel Universe Kang stuff, and I think we are going to reintroduce the Marvel uh, comic book universe continuity for Kang here. Um, touching on the Fantastic Four, all the losses there, the Avengers, uh, we're going to see all of that here again from the new eyes of young Kang uh, having to do the old Kang stuff. I, I agree reminded with me you. a lot of Donny Cates' Thanos series. Mm, good call. Ruined my bit. Okay. Oh, uh, was that what you were going to say, Pete? No, no, no. But um, I, I do think that this is, it, it's weird when like an older version of somebody hits a younger version of the same person. I always uh, think that's like a weird. Uh, Wouldn't you want to do that, though, if you had a chance to smack your younger self? Wouldn't you do it? Do you, do you have any idea who you were talking to? If you tried to hit younger, like, I would lose my shit on you and there would be like... I would murder myself. There is no scenario I can imagine where you, Pete, travels back in time to young Pete and does not be like, smack, don't do that podcast. <laughs> nah. Pete, I hate yeah, to tell you, no. I'm a younger version of you. <laughs> it's been a long time coming. Well, I'm, I have Justin, to say, I'm a younger version of you. <laughs> well, my... That seems unlikely. <laughs> well, I don't I'm know what happened right to me, now, but so man... Things have gone downhill uh, if I'm the older version. <laughs> no argument here. <laughs> <laughs> We've definitely lost the track already. Five minutes into this podcast. Let's move on to talk about Killer Queens, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by David M. Boer, art by Claudia Balboni. This is a very B-movie premise, as you may expect, with a LGBTQ plus twist where the main characters are gay and lesbian, respectively. They're traveling from planet to planet, going on adventures, hooking up with people, I thought this was fun. I had a good time with this one. What'd you guys think? Yeah, I really think they the cover kind of really does a great job of letting you know what's what's coming. You know, like uh, putting the assassin assassin. I think that's funny, and that's very much what they're doing. It's it's a little bit of sass, a lot of uh, cool ideas, and I love the uh, fuzzy monkey bit. And, uh, you know, it was, I think there's a humor and like, uh, a lot of like cool ideas in this. Uh, I, I, I thought it was cool. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a fun aesthetic and like the art style and sort of the fluffy vibe of monkey, the place. My, rem- my bad. Not fuzzy with fluffy monkey. I apologize. Please. Thank you for the apology. I, you are apologizing to me. I'm assuming. Yep. Your younger self. Um, oh, but I, I do like the aesthetic here. It definitely sets this book up to be like a fun romp, which is what you get. Second Chances, number one from Image Comics, written by Ricky Mamone, art by Max Bertolini. The idea with this book is there is a guy who gives people the second chances of the title. He fakes their death, even if they're terrible serial killers or something like that. Terrible. Gives them another life, but says, hey, you can't screw it up. There are no third chances. He runs into somebody who is coming directly for him. Uh, this, to me, feels like a Top Cow book, but it doesn't have the Top Cow branding, if that makes sense. Ooh, interesting. Huh. You're basing that on the art, I think, right? I think so. The fact that the guy looks like the darkness. That's exactly <laughs> that's right. I think that's yeah, what, what you think. And let me say, not, that's not how it works. It's not if people who look alike, they all have to be under the same influence. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because then well, you have, has like, long hair. Uh, Shoot him over to Top Cow. It's that's then if that were true, you'd have Spawn, Deadpool, and Spider Man all hanging out in the same uh, imprint, right? Pete, whoa, 
Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like just because the guy has long hair and is a little kind of like edgy doesn't mean that he's necessarily darkness. Uh, but he's I, either the darkness or he's some sort of hippie weed smoker. That's what I think with that oh long hair. Oh, my God. Who, how old are you? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hippie weed smoker. I think smoker? you just establish yourself as the oldest piece. <laughs> oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> Um, uh, I do the the art is reminiscent of the Top Cow style. Uh, all right, much well, so, and I I do like I like the black and white choice here. Um, I I think the art is really cool. Uh, the, the story uh, I got a little confusing at points uh, to me, um, and, but it's the the look of the book is really nice. Yeah, I, I I'm a sucker for the black and white. Uh, I love it. Um, reminds me of the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle days. Uh, Eastman and Laird, but I do, uh, it's kind of an action focused book and it's stylized like that. And I appreciate that. It kind of, you kind of know what you're getting and, uh, they deliver on it. So next up, another number one, eat the rich number one from boom studios written by Sarah Galley art by Pius Bach in this book. You can probably figure out what's going on by the title, but there is a woman who is traveling with her boyfriend to visit his family for the first time. She gets there, and predictably, they're not quite all they are cut out to be. They've got some secrets. Maybe they're eating some people. I don't know. We find out towards the end. I like this book and the characters, and I'm interested to follow them. I wish, given the title, it had gotten to the premise a little bit quicker. You're hungry. You want well, to see you some can't rich just, you can't you can't just open with that. You can't well I guess you could. But I I appreciated the build up to it a little bit. We got to spend some time with the main characters. You get to see why they're together and what they're kind of heading towards. Um but yeah, there's nothing worse than douchey people. I mean, these people are the worst. I hope they all die. And I hope we get to see them all die. But are you saying I, that can- cannibalism is a douchey quality? Um, no, I'm saying, saying being a rich asshole who has like talks down to your help is a douchey quality. Um, but I do hope that this title does deliver on the promise of that title. And I hope we do kind of have some comeuppance for all these assholes. I think for a first issue, great job of setting up this world. And hopefully we get to watch them all uh, die horribly. Pete. Ready to eat the rich at any point. You just say it. Real life. You just let me know. Uh, he has rich person recipes online. Hey, uh, Selbs, can you type any louder or are you good? Yeah, wow. no problem. The next one up is Superman. Wait, 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 hold on. One more, uh, one, one more thing real yeah. quick on this. Um, I do. This book reminds me of um, Afterlife with Archie. It has uh, just the, the visual aesthetic uh, sort of has that vibe. And the tone throughout is like something bad's coming. Um, and I agree with Alex. I do think if we can move a little bit faster into the story, then we'll get to see uh, see where it goes. It also reminds me of the the Joe Hill book, Basket Full of Heads. Ooh. Here's Good another call. one that I'm curious to see if you guys think is moving fast enough or not. Superman and the Authority, number two from DC Comics, written by Grant Morrison, art by Mikel Janine, Fico Osio, Evan Cagle, and Travel Foreman. In this book, Manchester Black and Superman are continuing the recruitment drive for their new team. We get a short like two, three, four page stories about some of these recruits. In particular, we meet Steele, uh, Natasha Steele, and also one of Pete's favorite. We get uh, Apollo and Midnighter uh, show up here as well. 
I really like this book a lot, but I want it to be moving quicker because I feel like it's going to be, they're going to assemble the team and then they're done and that's it, mm. you know, mm. just based on the pacing so far. How are you guys feeling about it? I felt like it was a little weirdly on the nose with the uh, femme tech and the blocking of trolls. I was like a little like, ah, ah, ah. But I think like of the other stuff that is going on, the team up is is uh, is cool and very intriguing. I'm excited to see what happens when things kind of get rolling a little bit. But it's a different take on Midnighter and Apollo. Not not my ideal, but I'm. I'm Wait, what's intrigued. wrong with it? I don't. I don't know. It just. It's a different kind of dynamic. Uh, Midnighter is like a little bit ignoring Apollo and Apollo's needs, and I don't like that in the relationship. Um, Interesting. Uh, so um, they're one of my favorites. So it's. I'm. I'm very sensitive to that. Uh, to that dynamic. But uh, I'm intrigued to see what happens moving forward. They're a little bit more caricature-y or a little bit more artistically done. I would say the style's a little different. So I'm interested to see a new take on it for sure. I will say, because I agree it's a little bit um, uh, slow to get to what the story is actually going to be about. And the the thing about the internet, internet people being physicalized um, in the Steel story was uh, to me a little bit like, okay, we get it. Yeah. But I will say on the positive side, it's nice to see Grant Morrison writing a more formatted superhero comic. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we're getting he's he's so good at um, just confidently writing unique dialogue for Superman and and like all these characters here. And to see that as opposed to some of the stuff he's done in his recent Green Lantern run where I was like, I don't know what's going on here. And some of his other stuff, like it's great to see him sort of return to a format where he can just do do that good work. Yeah, I agree. Again, it's a good, solid book. I just sort of want to get to it a little quicker because I'm worried that the run is going to be done at the end of that. The other thing that's going on in this book, though, that's probably important to mention is that Superman is losing his powers. Now, one of the things that happens with Superman's powers, as we all know, uh, based on the Man of Steel ad campaign, is that uh, they asked, how does he shave? You know, that's the one thing we don't know. And the thing that we know about Superman is he shaves by using his heat ray, bouncing it off of a mirror and shaving his face. But with him losing his powers, I feel like this is a prime opportunity for him to take advantage of the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. I think that's something that can really work out well for Superman because not only is he getting the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer and he's getting the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer and he's got that gray going so like that's he's gonna he's gonna get some stuff going in there you know what i'm talking about plus he's got that uh those tights on he's gonna need the crop preserver ball deodorant the crop reviver toner the performance boxer briefs and a travel bag to hold all that stuff because he's flying all over the place with manchester black you know what i'm talking about uh i I love the idea of throwing that manscaped logo right on the briefs he's already wearing mm mm-hmm yeah I, I would like to say that uh, I don't want to compare myself to Superman in any way, but I do trust my nuts to the uh, Lawnmower 4.0, and it does a hell of a job. <laughs> do you look down at it and say, I trust you? Yeah. I you do. whisper it, right? And then mm-hmm. the light comes on, and I feel safe. Yeah. Well, well that's probably good. The, um, the 4000K LED spotlight that you can turn on and off when needed. That's so right. So you can have a pre- precise shave throughout 
uh, the process. Yeah. Now, you guys like are familiar Superman with the robot, Kellex, who lives in the Fortress of Solitude, right? Like, yep. Kellex uh, the, has nothing on the lawnmower 4.0, you know, because that's got a 7,000 RPM motor, a multifunction on and off switch, a travel lock. I don't think Kellex has a travel lock. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? That thing, when Kellex travels, like anybody can get in there. Yeah, absolutely. No lock. And then, of course, as we mentioned, uh, Weed Whacker and everything beyond that, you're getting this whole package. And if you're listening to this right now, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDE20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDE20 at manscaped.com. Why did that copy twice? I don't really know. But uh, there you go. If you want to go wherever Superman can go, you got to get that Manscaped package. Make it happen, folks. And we are going to go back to our stack it's podcast. Like, it's like this trimmer was uh, jettisoned from a dying planet and landed on Earth to have wow. uh, supernatural powers. Yeah. And a friendly farm couple was like, oh, we're very hairy. This is very happy. <laughs> it's about happy time I was Manscaped. Exactly. What a happy coincidence for us, for us, this Harry Kent couple. Home number five from Image Comics, written by Julio Anta, art by Anna Wizzick. This is the last issue of this title. We had Julio on our show a couple of weeks ago. It was a great guest. Great to chat with him about this great book about illegal immigrants who have powers and how they use them. Loved how this tied up, and I love that it was not in a neat bow and teased potentially another series down the road, because it would be very easy to use superpowers as a band-aid for bigger issues. That's not what he's doing here. He ties up the story, but he does leave it open in a very world way. And I thought it was great. I thought this was a really nice five-issue series. What about you guys? Yeah, I completely yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, Julio talked about it a lot on the show, that it was something that he didn't want to keep it neat it's a not a neat issue in uh in our world so the way that this uh series sort of played out it felt it felt very much like these characters are still trying to decide what they can do despite the fact that they're a a super powered family they're still like how can we deal with this what are we going to do we get a nice uh twist at the end that i will hope lead to uh another series yeah, I I really thought this was a, a, a really well done five issue series. Uh, had some great art uh, to it. The, the art it was fantastic. There was a lot of heart in there as well. Uh, it's saying some things. It's it's powerful stuff. Very good comic. Next up, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number three from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Bill Cliss Evely. In this issue, Supergirl and her friend are traveling to a planet where something strange is going on. Seems like your regular old nice town planet, but it turns out there's a little bit of the old genocide going on here. Thanks to the villain (laughs) that they've been tracking down since the first issue. This title is great. I love this. The art is gorgeous. Tom King's writing is on point. It works issue to issue. I am really, really loving this book so far. I, I I agree. Oh, go ahead. Go, you go, Pete. You go. Uh, I completely agree. The art is absolutely amazing. This is such a cool exploration of the character through the artwork alone. Uh, but man, it, it's 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 a tight package, as Justin likes to say. It's the, the, you say the that art way more than I do. And the writing meeting together, making such a 
a, a fantastic uh, combination. And uh, I just think this is a fun read. Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, this is like such a great kind of exploration of the character. I feel like Tom King often gets uh, – every a lot of people love his work, but he, he gets some criticism for being very dense with his writing. I think this series is much more straightforward, and it has um, – I'm going to make a comparison that I only mean in the positive sense is very Xeno warrior princess in the way the story is told. Um, it's uh, the narrator is the companion um, to the sort of uh, hero. Um, and we get to hear that narration describing the action, uh, talking um, lovingly and looking up to Supergirl as she goes through these adventures they're having. Each issue stands alone in a really uh, great way so far. This is one of, I mean, Adam Strange, um, Batman, Catwoman, uh, Rorschach. Like, these books have all been so good. They're all so different. This one is right alongside them, though, I think. Next up, Radiant Black, number seven from Image Comics, written yeah. by Kyle Higgins, art by Marcelo Costa. We had Kyle on the show, on the live show, just last week for a fire Oh, we should have talked to him about the book. We did talk to him about the oh, book, Pete. Good, good. And oh, he teased some big stuff is coming down the road for this book. That all starts here with this main villain that our Power Rangers-esque Characters seem to be fighting here. There's some big revelations in this issue, big moves. It's a big action issue as well. This title is great. I love reading it, period. I I, I agree. I, I really love this issue. I thought it was like uh, action-packed, uh, art-leading way. I love the kind of stylized way they did the fight sequences and the fight scenes. A lot of fun twists and turns with this book. Just when you think you kind of get a handle on it, they do something creative and new. It keeps you coming back for more. Uh, yeah, I'm having a great time. This is a great book. It's Invincible meets Power Rangers. Like, that's fun with some some great twists and turns that are moving quickly and uh, you don't see coming, I feel like. Uh, yeah. I agree. It's a fun book. This is something that has moved to the top of my stack every week. Next up, yep. Nightwing number 83 from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art Ooh. by Bruno Redondo. First of all, great cover on this issue. Great. Wow. So good. A lot of the covers for this series since the new team took over have been excellent. Yeah. And we talked about this before. This is not exact, even though there's some shades of it, but just the creativity of the layouts mixed with the humor feels Hawkeye-esque in a certain way. But this has been rejuvenating the character of Nightwing in exactly the same way that they did for Hawkeye. There's some big moves in this issue that I'm sure touched you, Pete, and there's at least one big move that I'm sure touched you, Justin. A lot of touching. Let's get into it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about all the touches and the places that it touched you. Pete, where did Nightwing touch you? Oh, wow. I was good because this is Justin. Justin's been more of a trumpeter of this book. Uh, I, I loved the, the bat call. The, uh, the call he had with Batman was really touching. The shot of Alf, the picture of Alfred was really moving. I, uh, Alfred. Sorry, US. is it Alf or Alfred who is <laughs> Alfred? You fuck. Alfred. I forget you, he's been. He's uh, Batman's butler is the one who eats cats. No, 
it's right. not. Yeah. Well, no, I, I think if I remember correctly, it's Alfred Alf and Alfred both eat cats. Because if you no. remember, okay. there are That's no cats. Confusing. There are no cats. All right. In the so Batman. Batman's butler is the one who says, "Huh, they kill me." <laughs> wow, that. <laughs> Finally, we have an impression. That's Alfred. That's Alfred impression. Yeah. yeah. That was Michael Caine doing that. I remember it from the movie. This That's a, right. He said it in multiple. The movies. first part. <laughs> <laughs> what has my life become? Uh, I love this book. This book is I, well, maybe top of the stack of the Bat Family books right now. Come Batman on. Catwoman, we're going to talk about in a little bit, is also very good. But Nightwing is truly like coming into its own. What about Joker, dude? Uh, Joker also good, but um, this is really spectacular. No, I agree. The humor here and the heart that's going on is the thing that really pushes it to the top. All of those books you mentioned, Pete, are really good. But the thing about Nightwing is like you have this great relationship that you set up. It would have been easy to do a swerve where, look, it's Nightwing's sister and she's the mayor and she's working with Blockbuster. And isn't this a good twist? But Tom Taylor finds the right emotional grounding to it. Bruno Redondo draws the characters in the right yeah, way. So right there's. A softness and a lovingness that's going on between them that's really wonderful. And the layouts are great, too. I'm sure this is the thing that you're working around to, Justin. But there's a kiss of the issue, and the way that oh. it's framed and laid oh. out is perfect. It's so oh. good. And they don't over... They don't hit it too hard. It's just something that sort of takes your breath away when it happens and leaves the door open, excuse me, for who knows what. But let me also say, like... Of all the Bat books right now, like, um, we've got, like, over in Batman, like, Orphan Makers there. There's a, just a lot of story going on in a lot of the other Bat books. Here, it's just pure heroics from Dick Grayson and just great interpersonal relationships. The, the I'll spoil it, the Barbara Gordon kiss here is so oh, good. Oh, dude. Well, my other, and that's fantastic. The My favorite part of the issue, I think, was his conversation with Superman. Which yes. is so good. And Superman and giving a shout out to Alfred and how much he looked up to him. All you fuckers suck it, man. Superman said Alfred was the bomb. So yeah, well, well, you know, he, he, Superman as a Superman <laughs> because they're both aliens, right? Alfred's from Melback, and Superman is from I don't remember the planet specifically, yeah, but I think they're like close to each other. Honestly, I think Alf. <laughs> Uh, and Superman traveled on the same rocket briefly when they landed on Earth. Oh my God. And they went from, from that planet, um, uh, with some name, to <laughs> Melmac, and then it picked up. It was like, this planet's blowing up, too. They shot off to Earth. Anyway, that conversation is so great. Just Superman eats cats, I think. <laughs> <is what we're laughs> it's one of his powers. It's one of his main powers. He eats cats, and he tells jokes, and he wears Hawaiian shirts. All uh, of this is true. Also, like... You don't get to say this often, so I'm excited to say this. Great use of Blockbuster. Absolutely. That fight was very Who cool. Who saw that coming? Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Let's move on, though, and talk about Noctera number six from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder, art by Tony S. Daniel. In this issue, everything that our heroes have been looking for comes completely oh, crumbling man. down in a big way, but we get huge teases 
for what's coming up in this series as not to keep plugging our past guests, but as Scott, when he was on our show, plugged to us, he... Come on, Salvin. It just seems like you're doing it too much. No, but like he said that there was a big mythology here, and when they finally reach their destination, that's just the first part of it. And that's what really is set up in this issue. I was very impressed by it. I'm curious to see how it all pans out. Um, But uh, good so far. I'm still on board with this book. What about you guys? I agree. And don't we have a, this is in development as a potential series, um, right? Is it? Has that been talked about? I feel like that was news. Uh, but either way, no, no, I... Witches is being developed at Prime Video. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, but either way, this is a good uh, comic and does feel like ready to be on television. I feel like. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a little nervous to get off the kind of road because I was really enjoying it. Enjoying it, but the kind of reveal that we have here uh, gives <laughs> gives us some hope moving forward, which like is something that ha- we haven't had throughout the, all of the issues. So I'm excited about uh, a little bit of hope. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm so also yub dubbing it, Pete. <laughs> What? You said yum nub or yum yum yum? I don't know. Batman Catwoman number six from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Clay Mann. I don't know what just happened. I'm not 100% sure either. In this issue, some stuff happens. So I'm going to go against what you said, Justin. I don't get this book. I'm sorry. I Clay really? Mann's art what? is real good. I just cannot follow it. I don't know what the point is. I don't know what these multiple timelines are doing or how they tie into each other. Maybe it'll make sense at the end of the story, like a lot of Of Tom King stuff do, but I'm just, there is a mental block I have when I get into this book where I'm like, what, what's happening? Why are these scenes jumping from page to page again? Maybe an explanation coming. I'm still going to read it. But right now, this is the bottom of my Tom King stack. Wow. Interesting. Well, Just here's my coming take out on... fucking with a flamethrower. Why don't you? Jeez. Yeah. The bottom of the stack. Come on, man. I had one issue I'm, where you I'm got yub a little lost. all the way, buddy. Yub nub. Dude. <laughs> I don't think any of us are using whatever word that is. You got a little lost in one is. Tom right. King issue. You, I've been like so lost in like... Rorschach and tons of other shit, and you guys are like, eh, it's fucking really smart. It's too bad you can't understand and follow along. You get a little bit lost in one issue, that. and you're like, oh, it's a fucking bottom of the pile. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, he, here's, here's my take on it, and I don't know if this will help uh, Alex, but I, I do like this book, and I feel like this book isn't even really about Batman. Batman's doing, is just being sort of regular Batman. Um, it's about Catwoman. It's about Catwoman struggling with sort of the hero-villain continuum that she's sort of always in. And we are seeing it from whether it's different from normal where she'd be like, I don't know if I'm a hero or a villain. We're seeing it from the other side where she is both a hero and a villain already right. in these different time periods. And when yeah. In the present day, she's a hero. She's with Batman. They're doing their thing. In the future, she's more of a villain. I, in the past, she's a villain because she has killed the Joker um, yeah, she fucking in the has. future and in the past, she's still a. a I, I get all that. Before. I just I don't understand why you're using this structure. Like Strange Adventures is clear to me why we're using 
these two different art styles and alternating between them because you're paralleling the different stories. Rorschach, usually the structure is very clear to me as well in terms of it's different for every issue, but like taking the last issue that we're paralleling between the, the main character kind of like figuring out this story as the cowboy girl is giving him clues, so to speak, even though it's all inside of his head here. It's just not clear to me yet why one yet. page is running into another, is running into another and running into another. Does Catwoman have Alzheimer's? Maybe, you know, does she have dementia? Is that mm. why this story is happening this way? Maybe. But that's why I'm saying, like, I'll follow it because I'll follow Todd King wherever. And Apparently Clay you'll complain wherever. the whole way. But it's just not sucking me in yet in the way that I want it to emotionally in the way that I was by Tom King's run on Batman. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. sorry that it's and I will not say sucking that- you, but I do think that this is a fucking very creative, cool approach to talking about this relationship. And we get some like real kind of reveals in this issue uh, about them and how they might be moving forward. I agree with Justin. We're kind of Catwoman is exploring kind of her sides and who she is and who she wants to be moving forward and what her future options are. And I think it's a creative way of looking at that. And she's going to have to kind of make a decision at some point of what she's going to do. But um I just think it's also cool because it's like they're also fighting crime and all these other things. Why is the phantasm there? Well, that was what I was going to say. The phantasm part is a little confusing, and I hope there's more of a nod to why. Because this is the first introduction of phantasm to CCU, right? So it does feel like that should be meaningful, and there's so far not a lot of meaning there. That might be part of the reason that I'm completely thrown by this book, because if it was... Batman and Catwoman and Joker doing this dance of death throughout time, throughout their entire histories. I'd sort of get that. But the Phantasm story is this thing that's stuck in the middle, that's in the middle, one of the middle timelines, that I just feel like, I don't, why is this here? This isn't in the past timeline. It isn't in the future timeline. It's just this one thing is this external force that doesn't fit, which should be its own thing. So with the Mask of the Phantasm, if you remember from the animated movie that was done really well, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Bruce is about to jump into a relationship and the Mask of the Phantasm kind of shows up and is kind of like his devil's advocate a little bit about like what can go wrong in a relationship or like who somebody really is. Do we really know? We're all wearing masks. It's all fucking who you let into your crazy little world type of thing. And, like, this is kind of happening again because Bruce might be going all in with Cat here. And he's a little worried about, like, who he is and who she is. And I think it's kind of used very interestingly. And I think it will be revealed later a little bit more why. But, like, it's a kind of interesting reoccurring thing that when Bruce is starting to get serious, we get this kind of reappearing ghost. The phantasm comes to all of us in our relationships. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's, it's about to get serious. So real quick, last thing to say, count of three, um, yes or no, will Catwoman actually kill the Joker by the end of the series? Uh, one, two, three. Fucking yes. yes. Didn't she already kill the Joker? Yeah. But we're good. Uh, but I just mean, it. will it be a, a sticking thing? For oh, me, this okay. is a Black Label series. Like, is it a real thing? Because that, that, that's the question I have reading it. There's so much emphasis on 
did you kill the Joker? Did you kill the Joker from the daughter? And it's like, what, what do we, what's the meaning? Here? Well, because That's why I feel also like the whole story that about, puts her down a villain path. You know what right. I mean? Like, and that's so, but I think it's a yes. I think at the end of the day, Catwoman is a is a villain here. Yeah, and yeah. And I'm sorry that Zalvin, you know, one time you got lost in the comic, and uh, you know, I must, it must be hard for you. But if you come back again, you know, it might become clear <laughs> later on. Pete with the flex, the cat Man. back cat flex. Man, all right, let's move on. Homesick Pilots, number eight from Image Comics, written by Dan Waters, art by Casper Wingard. In this issue, we're checking in with our, I guess, main characters. It's hard to tell at this point, but main character who has been working with a haunted house. There is one of the ghosts of the house escapes, takes a bunch of Nazis, jams them into a new shape. It makes them attach a gig that a bunch of rock stars are doing. And it's great. This book is great, and it's so creative and wild. There's a scene in here where the Nazi is attacking and spewing Nazi garbage, and they bleep it out with the dialogue bubbles and say, you know what this is. You don't need to read this. I don't need to type this. Come on. Great. Yeah. I love it. Like, this this book is so good. It's so smart. It is in wild territory, yet it's still feels like it's of a piece it's still like in a nice little shape a uh, nice little i guess a package that i think is really good uh tight, uh, tight t- package there you go um and i love the little bits Welcome of those stories back. we get on top of this like it's just it's one of my favorite books to read uh, every time it comes out also what's really great about it is you can look at it oh, more than once because there there's a lot of different art styles happening there's a lot of different like character moments they're really trying to say something with this comic and not only the art but the words and it's really impressive uh what they're doing this is such a new kind of interesting story that they're telling I love the fact of like the kind of main character realizing what's kind of happening with her and like this house and like we're finally putting this kind of house together and how it became this way and it's such a creepy fucked up story uh it really fits everything nicely i i've been so impressed with this book i can't say enough about the art and the kind of like character design uh also smoking is bad for you kids all right you know cigarettes i agree don't smoke wow Shazam, number two from DC Comics, written by Tim Sheridan, art by Clayton Henry. In this issue, Billy Batson heads to hell with a friend from Titans Academy to try to get back his power by liberating the Rock of Eternity. They discover hell is not exactly what they expect. It's more like Vegas. It's fun! It's it's fun fun hell. I figured it was worth talking about this because we were a little mixed on the first issue, but it felt like it had a promise. So do you feel like it picked up in the second issue? I do. I do. I feel like, I mean, I am a little, there's so many, it seems like people are just like going to hell willy nilly now. Everybody goes to hell. Uh, But other than that, uh, I really thought the Shazam, (laughs) like kind of meet cute uh, uh, with the underworld uh, kind of daughter, the king of uh, underworld uh, was kind of a fun, interesting uh, uh, setup. So I'm interested to see how that kind of all unravels. But, uh, yeah, I thought even though we've kind of seen the go to hell premise before, I thought uh, the art and the story was kind of leading the way. 
to me, this book feels like a weird off period for Shazam. That Shazam um, is just sort of in this weird sort of side space. The, pow- the powers aren't quite working. The Rock of Eternity is lost. There's this like uh, the Titans Academy thing, and like what what all of it feels like a little bit off the main map. So I thought the story was fun. I am curious, like the reveal at the end, I thought was cool, but it feels like non-essential Shazam for some reason. So it feels like to relaunch the book is strange. Uh, I agree with you. I am having a good time reading it, but particularly given how hard the Shazam future state stuff went on very similar themes, it feels like either get there and hit that stuff or do something different either way. But I'm not yeah. quite sure what the point of this book is yet, even though, again, I am enjoying reading it, and it's fine. So if you're a Shazam fan, check it out. Let's move on and talk about Ascender number 18 from Image Comics, oh. written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dustin Wynn. This is the end, folks, no! of the Descender no! Ascender saga. We get a wrap-up here in a big way for a lot of characters and a lot of themes they've been dealing with all along what did you think? What did you think of the wrap up? Were you happy and pleased with how it ended? Um, yes, I thought there were great moments here. I love um, the return of the harvesters. Um, I do. It's. It feels like there's more story here. It feels like there's more to yeah. tell. So I could have done with just one more <coughs> arc, getting into a couple more of the elements. Of how the magic and and the the science really relate to each other and what both mean. I really love the way that where Tim lands. I love the the family moments we get at the end here and sort of the the final resting place for the the series. Um I hope there's more. Yeah, I really want more um the art's amazing in this. I love the driller moment. Um yeah. yeah, there's there's so much uh, uh, kind of great story. This is just a real great example of you can tell longer story and co- longer stories in comics. You can kind of walk away from stuff and come back to it. It's this is really great comics from start to finish. With this, uh, it's an impressive uh, run. I I want more though. Yeah, I. Wanted more is the way that I put it. It felt like it needed another couple of issues towards the end here because it felt like it was rushing towards the end a little bit. I love the stuff that happened. I was very emotionally affected by it, like I am with every issue here. And like Justin called out, I love the place it ended up. It just felt like it needed another two or three issues to give that space to kind of flesh it out a little bit more. But regardless... Both of these titles together are a tremendous achievement and are going to be a great yes. thing to check back they on are. throughout Come trade out. collections later on. Next up, Catwoman, number 34 from DC Comics, written by Ram V, art by Fernando Blanco. We are finally getting Catwoman going head-to-head with our main villain here that we've been teasing. And what do you think? Was the fight worth the wait? I thought this was a really fun issue, Love the cat and bat stuff. Really had some amazing art. I thought it was a great issue. I'm curious, Alex, do you prefer the way you're seeing Batman and Catwoman here as opposed to in the Batman Catwoman book? I think so, but also 
I mean, they even refer to it in the issue as, wait, aren't we supposed to not be doing this? Isn't this not supposed to happen? Yes. They're like, isn't this a black label conversation? <laughs> uh, which is fine. But I don't know. Uh, the Catwoman title to me, you brought this up earlier, but this is more of a piece with Nightwing, if anything, because it's these non-Batman, Batman family characters who are doing really interesting things artistically and story-wise that are actually pushing the characters forward. And yeah. that's that's my main pull. To be honest, until you mentioned that there was a Batcat scene at the beginning, Pete, I had completely forgotten about it. Wow. Because the fight, uh, the fight is really is, good. The fight is cool. Really well paced. And I love, love sort of the fight. different moments of stress that happen and how Catwoman is sort of outplayed here when her whole thing is always outplaying her opponents. Right. Next up, Time Before Time, number four from Image Comics, written by Declan Shalvey and Rory McConville, art by Joe Palmer. In this issue, our, I don't even want to call them heroes, but our characters continue to jump through time and evade two different crime syndicates that run time travel. The art in this book is great. That's the main thing that keeps drawing me back. I'm having a hard time holding on to which time periods are which as we go through because it gets more and more convoluted as it goes. Yeah, the different signposts, I'm like, Huh? What? <laughs> what year? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's going quickly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the art's fantastic. They are cranking through the kind of story in a way that makes me think they're getting to something bigger, which I'm excited about. And hopefully it will slow down so we can kind of like, catch up because uh, you get a little kind of uh, time fatigue from this. Uh, I do think, though, the art by Joe Palmer is great. It's very reminiscent of Gabriel Ba, Fabio Moon style things. Um, Very fun there. Um, So definitely want to read more. Next up, Bermuda, number two from IDW, written by John Lehman, art by Nick Broadshaw. We talked about the first issue of this book. This is about a kid who crash lands on a weird island where there's basically all the things like there's pirates, there's monsters, there's ghosts, there's zombies, there's anything you can imagine. And there is a girl named Bermuda, who is the big hero of the island. This issue, the boy wanders off to the pirate area to try to recruit some people to save his sister, meet some other monsters. There's a big fight. This continues to be very fun. And the standout for me is Nick Bradshaw's art. Yeah, the art is really nice. I mean, to me, if you're a fan of Peter Pan, this has like such big Peter Pan energy, almost like a Peter Pan origin story. Um, mm-hmm. If Peter Pan were this uh, girl, Bermuda. Whoa. Pete? Just blew my mind. Yeah, it just blew my mind with that. Yeah, I, I think the the art's awesome. It's kind of a uh, fun island adventure, kind of Peter Pan-esque story for sure. Uh, what? And it's we just... Agree. Yeah, it's just like this, uh, you know, I, the character design on the kind of like bat and monkey people are just really, really cool. And everything is so intricate and well done. You could really just stare at these panels for a while and just kind of like look around like, oh, look at that little mask in the corner. Oh, look at that. It's uh, it's it's really impressive art. I 
disagree with you guys. It reminds me a little more of J.M. Barry's work on titles such as Peter Pan. But let's move on and talk about the next one. Lazarus Risen, number six from Image Comics, written by Greg Rucka, art by Michael Lark. As you mentioned on the live show, Justin, this book has been away for a very long time. Ten months. Oh, my God. But it is back, and this issue kills it. So good. Talk about it, Justin. Is that why they called it Risen? Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's because everyone got into baking bread in the pandemic. So they ah, ah, capitalized ah, on that fad. Pandemic ah, uh, joke. The, wow. Uh, this book is so good. And, like, consistently so. Like, going back and reading all of Lazarus before they transitioned to this more uh, loose quarterly um, release schedule when it became Risen, sort of magazine format. Um, it's just so good. It's so smart. It's so prescient. It feels like you're reading the future and the back matter is Greg Rucka talks is frustrated with the world and you get to hear him over time talk about scientific developments that are sort of pointing toward the world he created here with Michael Lark, as well as the political changes in the way the world works that are stressing him out, but also, again, pointing more toward um, the vision they have here. And the characters are great. The Everything about this book is really working. I I hope a ton of people are reading this. Pete? I I don't know, man. I, I tried to read this a couple times, and I kind of kind of got lost at the projector, dude. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I started it and then forgot about it, and then it came back, and I couldn't quite catch up. Uh, but, yeah, I, I believe you guys think it's good. Cool. <laughs> You believe us. Oh, thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah. Really appreciate that. It is really good. And it definitely, I definitely had an experience reading this where as characters showed up, I I thought, oh, right. I love that character. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's what's going on with that plot line. So, man, I really, really want the next issue, but probably not coming out for a while, which is too bad. Six six months. Yeah, probably not. Man. Next up, Black Hammer Visions, number seven from Dark Horse Comics, written by Cecil Castellucci, art by Melissa Duffy. In this issue, we are getting one of the villains in the Black Hammer universe and seeing her perspective as she's kind of constantly rewritten and retconned. It's a very meta story. Pete, what did you think about this one? Yeah, it got real meta, man. It got, uh, I mean, but it was cool. I liked what it was saying. I liked the creativity it was taking, uh, fun art. And, uh, you know, they were, I appreciated what was going on and the fun kind of like, uh, you know, scribbled out faces and stuff like that. Uh, it's cool. It, it was trying to say something. It was doing it creatively and with some artistic integrity. So cool. Justin? Of all the anthologies, of all the anthology series out there, uh, I feel like this one is just really offering creators, given the chance to tell a, a unique story um, with Justice League adjacent characters, but also I uh, like honoring the continuity of Black Hammer at the same time. Like, it's just a great, I, I, even if every, not every issue is like my favorite story, like uh, meta stories always hit me a little bit uh, weird, but I, I thought this was good. But every story is still great in this series just because of the, the amount of creativity that's, um, that's allowed here. Keep picking this up. Next up, Mad Eaters, The Curse, number two from Image Comics, written by Chelsea Kane, art by Leah Metternick. This issue is picking up off of the first issue, obviously, where uh, two <laughs> campers are left alone 
at a craft camp on an island. The other kids may have been kidnapped by fairies or something like that. We're not 100% sure. But they go looking for the kids while the main girl's parents are having a lovely tropical vacation. This book... Sex vacation. A sex vacation. This book is great. I love the humor in it. I love the layouts. I love the different formats they're throwing in here throughout. This is creative and fun and weird, and I'm just having a blast reading it. The tone is so good. There's a huge reveal in this issue that we sort of like, this is very low played, um, but done in a cool way. The post-it notes sequence here, like all of it is just, it's so fun. It's so unique. I love the angry post-it notes. That was hysterical. Uh, also, they really they changing the perspective, like the layouts. They're they're playing a lot around with the colors and stuff in such a cool way. Um, yeah, I it's it's impressive the story that they're telling, um, and uh, I really enjoyed the girl with the helmet um, uh, talking about football camp. That was really fun. That's a guy. Uh, oh, cool. Um, either way, great. <laughs> Still a great character. Who cares? Uh, but uh, I just I think it's uh, it's quite a cool reveal of kind of like and handled like just kind of like so matter of fact of like, oh, yeah, we just found these little uh, people. So re- very cool reveal. Very well done. And the art is fantastic. Last but not least, Jonah and the Impossible Monsters, number five from Oni Press, written by Chris Samney and Laura yeah. Samney. Art by Chris Samney. This issue, our main character is being thrown into a fight ring with monsters, as always happens to these sort of characters. Pete, I know you've been loving this book, so I'll turn it over to you. Unbelievable action. Love how they don't fuck up the art with all this words and talking and fucking thought. Oh, who's got time bullshit. for it? Yeah, who's got, you know what I mean? Like, enjoy, let's... Feel it from the uh, you know the perspective of the characters, and not have to talk over it all the time. Um, but I'm getting worried. Like I, I feel a little scared about the cage that uh, you know our character was thrown into, and what's going to happen. Um, yeah, just fantastic, really cool story. I love this uh, the the Samney team, and it's cool that they're kind of creating this together. Justin. Uh, I like this. I like this as well. The art is just so cool. Um, we sort of go back and forth between issues of like getting some plotty stuff, and then this one is just like following uh, our our Jonah character as she is thrown around and has to punch stuff. So it's a fun mixed bag and very cool. There you go. And that's it for the stack. If you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the virtual comic book shop. <laughs> 